0: Strange from the other side of cinema. I am Mark Dickerson
1: and I'm Jeremy Fink. This is the second in our series Cinema Slackers, where we take a psychedelic trip through some of cinema's greatest wanderers and drifters. Kick back, roll one up, and listen in.
2: I just had the weirdest dream back on the bus there. Do you ever have those dreams that are just completely real? I mean, they're so vivid, it's just like completely real. It's like there's always something bizarre going on in those. I have one about every two years or something, I always remember them really good like there's always someone getting run over something really weird Um, one time I had lunch with Tolstoy another time I was a roadie for Frank Zappa anyway so this dream I just had it was just like that except instead of anything bizarre going on I mean there was nothing going on at all man it was like the Omega man there was just nobody around I was just traveling around you know, staring out the windows of buses and trains and cars, you know? When I was at home, I was, like, flipping through the TV stations endlessly, reading. I mean, how many dreams do you have where you read in a dream, you know? Wait. Man, there was this book I just read on the... Bu- well, you know, it was my dream, so I guess I wrote it or something. But, uh, man, it was bizarre. It was like, um, the premise for this whole book was that every thought you have creates its own reality. You know, it's like every choice or decision you make The thing you choose not to do fractions off and becomes its own reality, you know, and just goes on from there forever. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, in The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy meets the scarecrow and they do that little dance at that crossroads and they think about going all those directions and they end up going in that one direction. I mean, all those other directions, just because they thought about it, became separate realities. I mean, they just went on from there and lived the rest of their life, you know, just... I mean, entirely different movies, but we'll never see it because, you know, we're kind of trapped in this one reality restriction type of thing, you know?
1: Today we'll be discussing Richard Linklater's 1990 film Slacker, which follows the day in the life of a bunch of young people in Austin, Texas, as they meander and have poetic and philosophical discussions about the meaning of life and Madonna's pap smear. <laughs>
0: That's a pretty good summary right there. <laughs> How else can you sum this movie up? Um, yeah. So this film is a very stream of consciousness, almost. Uh, it's very meandering, which makes sense for the the type of people that he's focusing on in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes kind of from one place to another, one character to another. We never linger in one place or with one character for very long. Probably not more than a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film begins with Linklater himself uh, getting into the back of a taxi cab which seems fitting. Uh, he arrives in town on a bus, and the first conversation is about dreams, going different directions in your life. Um, it's a great way to open the rest of the film up. He's basically telling you what you're about to experience for the next hour and a half. Uh, the whole film is very dreamlike and veers off in, like we said, whatever direction it pleases.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting exercise, I think, um, because it kind of takes every rule that you would normally associate with good storytelling in cinema and kind of throws it out the window. For sure. Um, I, I think one thing that's particularly interesting is that we don't really follow a main character in any capacity. It just jumps around, but I wouldn't even really call it an ensemble piece because it's not even about a core of characters. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact number, but it has to follow probably the stories of at least thirty people, mm-hmm. um, if and not it's, more.
0: It's all in one town though, Austin, Texas. Um, yeah, and Link Linklater himself is from Houston, Texas, I believe. Yeah, uh, um, yeah,
1: but he he did so. Richard Linklater did start the Austin Film Society, which is now pretty reputable. Right. Um, which I that and that was one thing I was wondering. We'll, we'll jump around a little bit, but he in I, I was wondering how he. Was able to recruit this many people on a low budget film. I believe the budget on this was between twenty and twenty five thousand dollars at the time, uh, something around there. Which neither Mark nor I were able to figure out how he raised this money. Yeah, but once here. again, that's you know it's not an absurd amount of money. It, it's it's not like he put seven hundred or eight hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. on a self funded film. So it's very possible that he just saved up for a while and yeah. was able to do this on his own. And, but it well, seems... he
0: didn't go to film school, so maybe he did save some money there. Yeah. yeah but it
1: it seems like he uh he was able to kind of round up a really talented group of people to be on screen for this and i'm not sure I, w- I would venture to guess that most of them are not actors and actresses yeah um but they they all seem to be very uh specific in their own roles they all seem to be very believable like some of the performance in this is some of the performances in this are, are incredibly strong mm-hmm. um which is kind of surprising I think, to me, because a lot of the time you see lower-budget films, particularly the non-actors, and the one thing that won't hold up, you know, you'll have a good young director, a good young DP, you know, good writing, but what will sometimes get kind of wonky is the performances. Mm -hmm. But I think in this, you know, it really kind of holds... The performances are almost the glue that hold the whole Mm -hmm. film together. And much of that probably comes from the fact that these people are talking about things that they actually... Mm -hmm. would be talking about I wouldn't doubt that some of these scenes were literally conversations that Richard Linklater maybe had with a friend and then cast that friend to just regurgitate the Mm -hmm. conversation or probably improvise over it
0: although it's funny though because in a way uh, I mean would you say this is how people actually speak I I would say it's it's a little um it's that I would say it's not that way but it doesn't really matter like in a way because like you said there's talking about things that that you would just talk about with a friend on a Saturday night when you're over some beers or something. You know what I mean? Like, that's how the the dialogue is. And and though though it is, to me, it seems very, like, scripted. Uh, Another movie we're about to talk about after this, uh, Clerks, is similar in that way where they're, you know, it's almost like these movies are perceived to have very realistic dialogue but when you watch them again you, you kind of question that a little bit but it's more what they're talking about it's more mm-hmm. you know the way the characters are and and the situations that they're in that uh, comes off as very relatable um, yeah and you mentioned all the characters in this film obviously too many to mention here and no main character um, but I it, this is one of those films where I, I feel like the, the camera itself is a character mm-hmm. uh, maybe even the most important character it's always drifting, floating, uh, just like the other characters. And uh, the film is not all one shot, but it feels like it is. That, that was
1: that something I was going to bring up as well. It just it never actually feels like there's a cut in this mm-hmm. movie. Like there, there, and there are plenty. You know, I mean, there are a lot of long takes as well. There are some takes that just go on and on and on, and which is, you know, honestly, really, really impressive for not a not a first time filmmaker, but someone with really limited resources. You know, this was shot. Um, I'm not sure if this was shot on 35 millimeter or 16, um, my, my, would guess probably 16, but I could that. be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, I'll
0: take a look at that while you're speaking. <laughs> but,
1: but, but it's really so like the technical aspects of this film are really impressive for the resources that they had available. But the camera, as Mark mentioned, the camera's just kind of floating around and moving in a really dynamic, complicated, interesting way.
0: Um, oh, okay. So it was 16 millimeter, mm-hmm. um, that they shot it on it. There was a, a version that showed in 35. Yeah. It um, probably got blown up at a certain point. Slightly and mo- modified. Yeah. Cleaned that, up. For the nationwide distribution, obviously, but yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that's, you know, something that I think was common at the time. You'd see a lot of movies, well, I I think that Slacker was kind of predated a lot of the '90s independent cinema movement, which we'll once again talk about more mm-hmm. when we get to Clerks, because that was kind of more at the heyday. Mm-hmm. Slacker's was kind of the film that started the whole thing, yeah. Um, in a way, in in a way, because I well, weirdly, started I saw, a
0: certain kind of of indie film for sure. Yeah, a
1: certain kind of American you know, uh, philosophical, meandering, Mm -hmm. independent cinema that you would see a lot of throughout the rest of the decade. And interestingly...
0: yeah. Sorry, I was going to say there was uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which was, like, the first one that people really took notice of in this way, mm -hmm. but it was a completely different kind of film.
1: Yeah, totally different. This this was more about, you know, the everyday, the quotidian kind of... uh, Mm -hmm. conversations that people were having with each other it wasn't Mm -hmm. about drama because there really is i mean there are a few moments of drama in this film yeah you know there's one scene where someone pulls a gun out but it gets resolved (laughs) with in like a four or five (laughs) second long conversation
0: that was something i wanted to talk about because uh speaking about the camera uh and how that is kind of just floating around we go in and out of people's lives and you only get glimpses. It's funny because in the film, something as serious and eventful as a hit and run is treated with like the same weight as a as a casual conversation or someone mm-hmm. walking into a cafe. Like it all has that same floaty feel to it. And yeah. like for the hit and run, we only see the aftermath of it, really. Um. And so I thought that was interesting that everything's even keel and almost on the same uh, level the whole the whole film. Yeah. Did you feel and like that you- when you watched it? As well. Yeah, and I
1: feel like in a certain way it made the film feel really long, mm-hmm. um, which. Yeah. But I don't want that to come across as a criticism. I, I, I don't think it was bad. Yeah, it was like you could kind of just get lost in it, and it yeah. just felt like it, you know your your brain had to kind of reset every time you would pick up with new characters because you'd have to figure out who they were about, right. you know what what they were going to talk about, what their situation was. Um, and and I do think though that Linklater did an unbelievable job introducing characters efficiently here, mm-hmm. um, which I think you have to when there's this many characters because you know you see a, a lot of films where it takes a half hour to really even understand mm-hmm. who a character is, and I don't think the camera stayed with any <laughs> situation here, for more yeah. than five or ten minutes mm-hmm. throughout this entire film, and you totally got these little um, vignettes of these people's lives and you really connected with it. Um, I actually saw a movie recently. It's a Chantal Ackerman film, and I'm going to totally butcher the pronunciation, It's like Histoire d'America, basically like Histories of America, um, food, family, and philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it was this film I just happened to... So I live in New York City and and I'm a member at MoMA, which for any of our New York City listeners out there, MoMA, if you haven't gone there to see movies, it's probably my favorite place to see movies in the whole city. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just happened to notice that this film was playing one day and I went and saw it. And it has a similar vibe where it basically chronicles a couple generations of Jewish immigrants uh mostly set in i believe williamsburg in the late 80s the film came out in 1989 and it kind of has a similar thing where it doesn't really focus on any one person it's just kind of meandering around and you're getting these little vignettes and i i wouldn't be surprised at all to have heard that richard linklater saw that movie mm-hmm. and came up against it at some point mm-hmm. um, but it was kind of it had the same the same kind of thing where because you were seeing so many different characters uh, this movie is only about an hour and 40 minutes as is the Ch- Chantal ackerman film and I think that, like, like that length, that, that feeling of length really lets you get lost in it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not the kind of movie that you can watch passively. Neither of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Slackers is the kind of... M- slacker, not Slackers. Slacker is the kind of movie that you really have to let yourself tune into. Mm-hmm. You know, which is kind of ironic because it's called Slackers. So you would think it's the kind of thing that you could watch very casually and passively. But it is, it is really a film that demands your attention. Um, because mm-hmm. some of what they're talking about is is really pretty deep and interesting and obviously there are some conversations that come up that aren't as significant but I think that that pretty closely mirrors the nature of life and conversation in a way that a lot of movies that claim to mirror life and conversation miss Mm -hmm. because they're able to dive into things that are really deep and significant because we have those moments when we want to talk about you know the meaning of life and we want to talk about individuality versus the collective or you know conspiracy theories, but we also have moments where we just want to you know have a drink and talk to our friends about a band yeah I, you know
0: I found that some of the most interesting for me anyway, the most mm-hmm. interesting conversations were just like about relationships or really intimate things like that um which there wasn't too much of is mostly what you were talking about were a lot of um p- political philosophical conversations which were very interesting in their own way, but for some reason i I really um I kind of, my attention was always piqued when they were, it was like the more intimate uh, details of the characters. Because, and I think part of that is because we only do see so little of each character. And uh, so you kind of want to know everything you can about them in that short mm. amount of time. Like, you know, we're going to go to someone else in a few minutes, so, um, so that was interesting. And I think you touched on this a lot, Jeremy. I, I think one of the most interesting aspects of this film is this kind of duality that I noticed. Um, so to explain that a little bit, this film requires a lot of patience because as we talked about, the pacing is very leisurely um, and kind of meandering, obviously. <laughs> Not kind of meandering, it is very meandering. Very meandering, um, yeah. But at the same time, um, it may be the perfect movie for this generation. And I don't want to sound glib here or like I'm judging. Uh, I am part of this generation in a certain way. Uh, so what I mean by that is it's, it's perfect for this generation because it's it's almost made for people with shorter attention spans. At, yeah. at, at the same time, um, so th- when you say this
1: generation, you're referring to
0: well, like yo- millennials, I guess well, yeah, the current- younger, uh, uh, the current generation uh, where we are with technology right now. I mean, it's just a, a fact right now. I, I don't think people's attention spans are as as uh, long as they used to be. I, I could be wrong. It's just um, and and whether people are are want to be that way or not, I think it's just the nature of of how we live now. Um, but anyway, w- what I'm trying to say is uh, the film is kind of both. It's, it's leisurely. It requires a lot of patience from the viewer. But at the same time, uh, it is constantly going to something new, a new character, a new situation. Um, so it's kind of it's that du- duality, I think, that makes it interesting in a way. Um, and uh, but still, the fact that there's a lack of a clear singular narrative means that the film is fairly experimental and may not be for everyone. Uh, which is why it's a cult movie, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely not for everyone. Uh, but at the same time, I found that interesting that, you know, the way it correlates with, you know, because we always try to bring what we're t- the movies we talk about, no matter, no matter when they're made, we try to bring it back to where we are in here now, 2019 now. Uh, and that's just something I was thinking about. Well, but what do you feel about that, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, I think it's totally relevant. And I think, you know, even some of the discussion, I think the form is relevant. Um, like like you mentioned, kind of this short attention span cinema. I think that if this film were made today, it could be released as is, or it could also be something where you just basically get a bunch of short YouTube clips. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost wonder if Richard Linklater, had he come up now in today's world, if he would maybe be a vlogger and not a film director. Um, uh, yeah.
0: W- yeah, it's such a different it, world than it was. Yeah, it's, it's yeah be- because it's one of
1: those things where at least the things he seemed to be interested in at the time he was making this film. Obviously, you know, he made Dazed and Confused. He made School of Rock. You know, he, he he's made some films that are a little more uh, Hollywood. Everybody wants some. But a lot of the stuff he's dealt with is also just how do real human beings interact in in a way that is sometimes cynical but sometimes sentimental. And I think, you know, if you look at someone like a Casey Neistat or someone like that, who is really kind of exploring the same thing, or you look at the Before trilogy, you know, that easily could have just been a couple vlogging, you know, as they talk about their experiences with each other, you know, it it could happen in real time. So, so I almost wonder if it's something that had Richard Linklater been, you know, 25, 30 years old today, you know, if maybe he, he, it would have taken a different direction. And Mm -hmm. obviously there's no way to know this was interestingly. So slacker, a lot of the time gets credited as Linklater's first film. This was actually a second feature film. Mm -hmm. He made a super eight millimeter, uh, Film called It's impossible to learn, or It's impossible to learn to plow by reading books, mm-hmm. uh, which is available. Apparently, I haven't seen it myself. Available as a special feature on the Criterion Collection edition of Slacker, mm-hmm. so I, I would really like to see that. But it, but it is interesting. I think we do see some of the assured, confident filmmaking, probably because he has that experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, you'll see first features, particularly low budget ones, even from great directors. That kind of uh, don't have the the finished feel that this movie has. Obviously, this movie you know Slacker isn't perfect. There are still, and I definitely saw a boom mic in there somewhere. There, it's not perfect, mm. but for a movie made for the budget, it's just in my mind kind of so impressive yeah. how polished it is. Uh, and, and but what I did think is interesting is some of the discussions as we relate it to today's world is some of the discussions even seem really really relevant. You know, there was a lot of stuff about Kennedy and you know, 1950s and 60s conspiracy theories that obviously today are are maybe not as relevant. But there were also discussions about global warming. Mm -hmm. There are discussions about, you know, there's the one scene where there's a young man who has his life filled with televisions. You know, he has this room where it's just (laughs) ceiling, ceiling to floor televisions. And he says that he hasn't turned them off in four years, which obviously today is... Kind of how you know I yeah. I mean I don't know the last time I just actually <laughs> shut my laptop down you know you put it to mm-hmm. sleep but actually it just to totally silence. shut it down yeah yeah so like when was the last time you you know you shut your phone off shut your laptop off mm-hmm. completely cut out the outside world and just existed yeah, yeah that's an interesting
0: yeah and thinking about today's sensibilities it's, it's it's interesting like you know when you were talking about that you were saying he might be a, a vlogger or do YouTube videos like shorter videos. Uh, and maybe they'd be all connected in some way, but but you would lose the form. I think the form of of, mm-hmm. of a feature film is so important to this movie, um, and I don't think it could be. I don't think the feeling, the same feeling, could be recreated um, in a different yeah. way. Because I think, you know, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's um, oh, totally, yeah. It's the fact that it is an hour and a half that you're spending uh, just floating around this town. Um, that's something you couldn't get on. YouTube or something, you know, unless, unless it was an yeah. hour and a half video. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting thing to think about and something that maybe has just changed, you know, again, attention mm-hmm. spans are different now. Um, so uh, let's go back. Let's go into just talking about specifics about the making of the film and, and who was behind it. We've brought up Richard Linklater a lot. Um, this was, as Jeremy said, not his first film, but it was his first breakthrough film. And it was at the start of the indie Sundance boom of the early to mid 90s. Um, it's a pretty unanimously praised movie, one that won its share of awards and accolades at the time when it came out. Um, and uh, for a second feature, I, I agree. I have not seen his first film yet. Um, my brother has, and I, and I asked him about it because when I was watching Slackers again, and he said um, there's a lot of like long shots of, of landscapes and things like that, so he said it does correlate to uh, what he eventually went on to do with Slackers, so that's interesting, and I think I will check that out. Um but, um, yeah, the average movie, uh, I was looking at uh, some trivia about the film, and the average movie has apparently 500 to 1,000 cuts in it. This movie only has 163, uh, and almost a third of them come in that last uh, segment where they're passing around the Super 8 camera. Um, so I think that's – that. Wow. Get, and I think – I don't know if – yeah. I'm assuming he did that intentionally, Richard Linklater, because uh, that adds to the dreamy feel and the fact that you feel like it's all one shot uh, when you're watching it. Um, so yeah,
1: those numbers are really, I didn't even realize the numbers were that small. I I have
0: not confirmed these numbers, but that's just what I saw when I was, but
1: it sounds believable. I mean, the fact, even the fact that it sounds believable is a testament Mm. to that
0: sounds right. Yeah. When you're watching it, it sounds right. You know? Uh Yeah.
1: That's wild. Yeah. No, it really, it really is an experience if you, if you haven't, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I don't think we can spoil this movie. Uh, Because it's just it's not a plot driven movie at all. I could literally tell you scene by scene what happens, and it would Mm. not change your experience. experience. It might even it might even open it up so you could dig in and really yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, but if you haven't seen this movie, it's it's just really an interesting trip. It's just so kind. It's kind of almost like an anti movie. Mm-hmm. In terms of the writing, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's just so bizarre. No core like, narrative, like, no core uh, no, no, main, it, no. I main mean, character. it it literally opens with five minutes of someone talking about a dream that never comes back. <laughs> you know, like it's not, it's not even like the, they're talking about a situation that will develop in the film. It's a dream, and it's not a significant dream. I mean, in in a way, it's significant because it it kind of he's talking about a dream. It's just a very average dream, you know, nothing really happens. Mm-hmm. And he's saying maybe it's some other reality, and it's that kind of which kind of almost, like you mentioned, Mark, describes what the film will go on to be. Mm-hmm. It's like this other reality where it's kind of like a dream, but instead of it being a wild dream where weird things are happening, it's just, you know, nothing really happens. There are some very dark moments, though. Mm-hmm. It, it, we, if we say nothing happens, but at the same time, there's some pretty, um, like you mentioned, there's a hit and run. Um, where someone, I believe, dies, right? The woman dies. Yeah. I, well, we never find out. But we, we never find out. It, it seems it's, like she is. It seems is, like she is. dies. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are people talking about wanting to, you know, have anarchy ensue. And, you know, one, I think one guy says, like, remember, like, terrorism. I don't know mm-hmm. the exact quote, but, you know, terrorism is the voice of the people. You know, there, there are some pretty dark people with radical ideas in this. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think the thing that's interesting is that they're not going to do anything, Mm -hmm. you know, like you, like knowing who these people are, even from these brief encounters, 99% of these people will never take initiative and act on any of their (laughs) ideas. It's more just that they have them, which I think is, is a big thing that this early nineties culture explored, you know, it was kind of the post post Reagan Mm eighties, where everything was material, greed is good. Yeah. And then you have all of these people after that, when, you know, everything had collapsed, the, the economy had struggled, they were still in the bush years, we, we were just starting to see, you know, some early, like, some terrorism going on. Like, the world was in a very strange place, yeah. a very transitional period. Computers were first coming into people's lives in a big way, where people weren't really sure what to do with themselves. And in, in, in a world that is preaching big money, and greed and excess and then finding out that that's wrong Mm -hmm. or or, or wrong or problematic, it leaves the people who weren't into that to begin with in a very weird place where they can kind of be held up in a way where it's like, well, look, these are the people who never bought into it. But then you look at those people and they still don't have jobs. They still don't have any money. You know, they're they're just hardly getting by just talking about philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, well, where do these people who in some way are the ideal because they rejected the thing that everyone else was saying was so great but then we all found out was a, bomb, a ticking time bomb mm-hmm. but at the same time they're not really contributing on anything they're kind of just living for themselves and their ideas mm-hmm. so where does someone like that fit in
0: yeah and slacker was seen as a pretty accurate portrayal of generation x and, and stuff like that so um i think that it's unavoidable i mean link has gone on to say in interviews and, and whatnot that he he's he's straight away from being a spokesperson, you know, for that generation, which mm-hmm. I totally understand. I mean, he was just making a film, you know, and whatever statements he was making, he wasn't, I'm sure he wasn't trying to generalize about entire, yeah. uh, uh, generation. But when you watch Slacker, you can't deny that, you know, it's, it, cause it, you know, what else can you do? It, that's when it was filmed. It was filmed in 1989. Um, so right when you're, everything you're discussing Jeremy is, is going on. And, uh, he, so it's almost like he, uh, you know as everything was on the brink, is when he filmed, he started filming it. Yeah. and um, and we see these characters kind of trying to navigate through that, that malaise. Actually, the, the malaise of the film, it, it reminded me a lot of um, of Ghost World, actually, uh, for some reason. A little less comedic, obviously, but uh, and, and Ghost World is more of a dark comedy. But um, I don't know if you've seen Ghost World, Jeremy, but um, yeah, I have, yeah. yeah. Did, did you get that kind of feel from it? Just like. Uh, that kind of youthful malaise yeah yeah i did i think a little less yeah like, like you said a little less quirky a little, quirky, a little darker and, yeah but um, yeah that kind of feel to it um, I, and i think something that
1: the because you mentioned that link kind of rejected this idea of being a spokesman for his generation um i i don't even think that this movie necessarily is speaking for a generation i think it's the specificity of it that makes it applicable to the generation as a whole i think that i i get the the sense that the goal was really just describing his own personal experience with yeah. his friends and the feelings that they were having, mm-hmm. and then after it came out, you know, after movies like this came out, after Nirvana hit the scene in a really big way, and that you we realized that there's all these disenfranchised young people in the early '90s not really knowing where they're supposed to go and they're you know kind of upset about where things have landed for them, but not sure what to do about it. That people then started to say, "Oh, Richard Linklater has his finger on the pulse of." Yeah. Like looking back, culture. Like, oh, okay, yeah. But at the, but at the time, you know, I think that th- this is just kind of He's supposed like, to be. This is my life. You know, this, this is like, my life. Yeah.
0: This is, this is these are the people I live amongst. You know, this is my town. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what it was. Um, and uh so, but it did inspire a lot of people. And like we talked about, uh, the Sundance, uh, you know, when when it showed his Sundance, it was a huge breakthrough for him and for indie film in general in the '90s, the early '90s, and um, uh. You know, many filmmakers were inspired by it. And not often when we do these series, Jeremy, do we... <laughs> we do films in order that actually correlate one from... One, one after one the, the other, other. Yeah. But the next movie we're going to talk about, not to get into it too much, but is Clerks. And Kevin mm-hmm. Smith was greatly influenced uh, by Clerks. He said this is his number one influence for when he made Clerks. Um, and you can see it, for sure, being set in one, all in one day and the way the characters speak to each other. yeah, And just that kind of scrappy... Uh, the accessibility. Uh, yeah, the you accessibility, know? like things that you would... Things that yeah. you would talk to your friends about, you know, when you went to work and things like that. So that's, yeah. what, that's what this opened the door to. Um,
1: yeah, Slacker is never a movie that Hollywood, a studio would crank out, right. you know. And, and I think that that was the thing is it's so I think it's easy now for young filmmakers to feel like they can just go make a movie mm-hmm. because the technology is there. Everyone has an iPhone or some kind of camera available I don't want to say everyone has an iPhone, but pretty much everyone has some kind of camera (laughs) available in their life. Even if it's something really like you can find cheap cameras online for like nothing these days. Mm -hmm. So, so the idea of someone going out and just making a movie is so accessible now, even with Instagram, you know, people are making movies. I I bet in the course of a year, most more people than not make a movie's worth of material in their Instagram stories alone, Mm -hmm. you know, which is interesting. They're, they're filming it. They're, they're, Curating it, they're they're, you know, they're making they're making movies in a, in a weird way. They're just not feature films, mm. and but I think to think about the early or late eighties and early nineties, you know, people had video cameras, but they weren't really thought of as a means of. Making serious movies,
0: right? You couldn't get them into a, the local cinema with with what you were shooting on for most. Yeah, time. yeah.
1: And so this idea of someone taking a sixteen millimeter camera and making something about his hometown that yeah. wasn't Los Angeles, it wasn't New York, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't have any stars in it. Yeah, it was, was a really yeah, it's a pretty radical idea. You know, Jim Jarmusch had been doing his thing a little bit, and that kind, of, but and that kind of probably predated this and was an influence on letter But I think that the way that this was done, where it it kind of got rid of genre entirely you know it, it, it really was just this slice of life mm-hmm. thing but not in a way where it was saying oh we're edgy we're a slice of life it was literally just a day in the life with none of the exciting stuff nothing yeah. more exciting really happens with the exception of maybe the car crash well, Then an average robbery, day i guess
0: yeah yeah well, well link has always been about the little moments you can see that in, mm-hmm. in almost all of his films he, he focuses on those the little things um but we do talk about uh, things that stuck out to us from the film, uh, scenes or moments, whatever, characters. Uh, did anything? Was there anything like that for you that stuck out?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think that uh, a couple things. Um, one, it's, I, I don't know if there's a specific moment. One thing that always stuck with me, even since the first time I saw this movie, and I don't know why this stuck with me, the but there's... The Madonna <laughs> Yeah, the Madonna... Well, the cell. So there's one scene where a young woman tries to sell... What she claims to be Madonna's pap smear. Which, side note, early '90s independent movies between this and Reservoir, this and Reservoir Dogs, just (laughs) seem to have a thing about like ragging on Madonna. Madonna was huge. I I mean, Madonna was huge, but they just seem. I don't know if she because she's the material girl, just like represented everything that these people kind (laughs) of despise. So they would just. But, you know, she she didn't do anything wrong. but um but but so that that moment was interesting. but this this one moment that just kind of always stuck with me is there's this one scene somewhere in the middle where these guys are just this guy just gets in his car and starts driving, and someone else comes up and asks for a ride. And then the third person comes up and asks for a ride. And just the three of them are cruising along in this really beautiful Austin, Texas sunlight. And nothing's really happened. you know, normally, a car ride would be accompanied by like, Really, you know, and you think there's some music some playing, music but, the, or, yeah. but yeah, but like, the, but like, it's not like the music is in the forefront and it's like, oh, look how cool they are driving in the car, yeah. look how emotional it is. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of this moment where like they're just driving, music yeah. is playing, you know, that's it. There's not yeah. a lot more, they're yeah. having a very simple conversation, and something about that, like, mm-hmm. it really stuck out to me. It, it almost makes me think of Mark. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the third season of twin peaks like the the return oh i did it was amazing you did so there there's one there's one bit in the in the return which i'll be totally up front i didn't love the return really? i there were some there were yeah there were certain Jeremy, things we're i loved We'll have to have a, another talk we'll after, have to, after this after like we're there there recording? were cert, there there were certain things that i loved but there watch, were also a lot again. of things yeah I, I might have to go back um but there, there was one moment where i think It was, uh, God, I'm blanking on character names, but two characters in The Return were just having a discussion about the character of uh, the color of a couch that they wanted to buy, I believe. And this discussion just goes on for like eight minutes, and it's just them talking about a couch. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird and uncomfortable because we're so, um, As a culture, we're so film literate at this point and so used to having movies function in a certain way Mm -hmm. where unless that couch was going to somehow be totally (laughs) essential to to what was going to happen, they would not spend a second on it. (laughs) And they spend... Almost, you know, a third oh, yeah. of an uh, almost a quarter of an episode, and then it never comes back. Mm-hmm. But I realize that what it does when you have something like that is it makes you as an audience member kind of lean in because you're either going to check yeah. out entirely or you're going to just like lean in and be saying <laughs> why, like why are they like what yeah. is going on? Why are they at that point are either they doing you're
0: this? with it or you're going to turn it off. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I feel like this whole movie Slacker mm-hmm. be, has this has that kind of effect where yeah. because it opens in a way where he's talking about this dream the whole movie you like like from that opening scene what makes it such a beautiful opening scene is it's so not dramatic that you're waiting for it to become dramatic mm-hmm. you're leaning in and you're saying how is it going to how is it going to become something more how is it going to grow mm-hmm. and because you're forced to lean in like that you actually are able to disconnect from narrative and just really listen to what the people are saying mm-hmm. really just let yourself be consumed by it because so often i think that where mm-hmm. movies actually lose people is trying to be too movie-like if that makes sense
0: narrative driven right too
1: narrative driven you know too cinematic too purposeful and of course you know the best in a way yeah and and a lot and obviously there are filmmakers who do that well you know if you look at a you know i feel
0: like well fincher is the first one that came to mind yeah 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 Yeah, if you look at a david fincher movie movie like movies that are like very and they're amazing they they pay attention to detail yeah but he does it Mm -hmm. so well that it's yeah because it's
1: as well, but but I think it's that weird in between But then you look at something like a movie, you know, Goodfellas or something like that, and that's very movie-like. There's a lot of significant details, but there's also a lot of shots of them just having dinner. Hanging
0: you out. know, and, and, it's, no, it's, and those like, are like everyone's favorite scenes, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and and
1: so so I think this is and and Richard Linklater, which I I would I would like to do and we'll get, we'll get to your favorite moments, yeah. Mark. Um but for me, so Richard Linklater is a really special filmmaker in my life because before I even was into making films, um so I when I was in high school I played guitar and that was like my main thing that I was focused on and I came across Dazed and Confused one day and the soundtrack more than anything just blew my mind and from that moment on Dazed and Confused was just like my favorite movie of all time I went out and bought a DVD and basically what I would do is when I was supposed to be doing homework I would just watch Dazed and Confused over and over and over again um and I think the thing that that ultimately got me with Dazed and Confused and most of Richard Linklater's movies that I've seen is the fact that there's a lot going on. Um, you know, there, there there is a lot going on, but it's those moments where it doesn't seem like a lot's happening, um, which is the majority of the movie in most of his films. Mm-hmm. That it's just so rich with detail. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, it's just it's so alive. In a way. It's yeah.
0: It's refreshing that to, to not focus so much on plot or on a certain character. Yeah. Any of that because you can get that in you know in any almost any film. Um, yeah. really So to see this, like you said, like at the time when it came out, it just blew people's minds. I'm sure. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think that a movie like Slacker, even though there's not really a plot, is kind of it is kind of rich in narrative in a weird way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, because it's not like because we're just getting these little slices of these people's lives, but you're realizing kind of how just that one little thing that's happening, be it significant or insignificant, how by the next day. They're going to be a slightly different person, yeah. And to me, that seems so much more accurate towards the nature of change, of human mm-hmm. change. That you know, change happens slowly over over time, um, and we don't even notice that we're changing when it happens. There's very rarely an aha moment, or if there is an aha moment, that aha moment has come after months of slowly working towards that aha moment, and we realize that that's that moment because we've been gradually moving towards that. And I think mm-hmm. that Richard Linkle- Richard Linklater. Really, really has a, a rich understanding of that and is able to portray it in a way that is engaging, which yeah. is difficult.
0: And he's a very good filmmaker and that helped. I mean, this, this movie shows the power of filmmaking. Because, yeah. for, for example, take that scene that you discussed as one of the moments that you brought up when everyone's in the car driving down the road. If that was just in any other, most other movies, uh, it would be probably, what, a bunch of cuts there, and a, maybe even a mm-hmm. montage with music over Or just it. one shot. Or just, just, just a car driving through the frame. Yeah, or just a standard shot of a car. Um, so the fact that he made this film the way he did, and shot it the way he did, edited, edited it the way he did, that's what makes Slacker what it is. Uh, more than anything, I think. Um, and for my moment, I was going to say um, just that ending is of passing the camera around between all the characters. I Mm -hmm. I thought that uh, really, it was, you know, just shooting from all their different perspectives. I mean, you couldn't have a more perfect ending for this movie in a way. It's very impactful. Uh, In my opinion, what, you know, when you walk away from the movie, I didn't remember a lot about this coming back to it because I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I did remember that ending, Mm -hmm. uh, especially him throwing the camera and that, that last shot. I mean, it's just kind of, yeah I mean no spoilers here because you really can't spoil this movie, but' no, not if, a chance it, so even explaining the ending it's you know it doesn't until you've s- sat through the entire film and watched watched it um I don't think that ending could really have as much of an impact on you you know what i mean um so yeah, great ending, great way to wrap it up, even though it wasn't really <laughs> a narrative going on or anything yeah. like that this, um, this is the this is a
1: movie that could have gone on forever. Like this movie, yeah. they, they could have just, they could have gotten in a car, someone could have driven to the next state over, you go to a different town, and yeah, I think that's yeah. kind of the beauty of it, is uh-huh. it could literally, it could because life doesn't just end, you yeah. know, someone, you know, people die, but mm-hmm. there are other people left behind, and other the camera's going to stay and... with those people, and new mm-hmm. stories happen, mm-hmm. and even if they're subtle, every person is going through their thing, yeah. every person is having their ideas, which seems like, you know, and there are a lot of movies and books that kind of do that, but they're so on the nose where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, where, you know, everybody, it has something going on, it's all interesting, but it, but it's trying to say it really explicitly. Mm-hmm. But to me, the specificity of this, you know, the fact that it never draws attention to the fact that it's doing that, it's like the camera just kind of is on one person and then just yeah. kind of moves to another. And it's like, it, it's not saying like, oh, look at me, I'm making this big point. It's just kind of like, like this like, is this, how it is to me. This is where know?
0: we are right now, you know, this yeah. is where we, what we're looking at. Uh, and you've really, you really really touched on what my, my final thoughts for this were going to be, so I'll go into that now, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my final thoughts were that this film uh, really exemplifies that everyone is a character in their own way, uh, which is kind of what you were just talking about, and that everyone's interesting and has their own story. Uh, whether it's not a story that you like, they have a story. Um, and even though we may never know them or only get to know them for a very brief time, there's more than meets the eye. So that's what I wanted to just kind of end on uh with my final thoughts. But what did, what did you think uh to wrap this up, Jeremy? Uh
1: my final thoughts would just be, you know, really interesting film, really great for up-and-coming filmmakers to watch. Oh yeah, uh, definitely, for sure. Because like we said before, there is just an accessible style of filmmaking, especially today, you know, it's like you you grab a phone and you walk around taking video of your friends talking and you know, you write the conversations you're having, and even if it's not your big feature film just as an exercise, it's definitely something that can be learned from. I think that, you know, Richard Linklater's entire filmography is worth watching for anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's they're really fun films to watch. Um, yeah, no, great film. One, uh, You know, like I said, is one of my favorite directors and definitely worth checking out. Yeah. So that's all for today. Join us next time as we'll be jumping into the heart of the 90s independent cinema movement and going berserk with Kevin Smith's debut hit, Clerks.
0: Thanks for listening to Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify. Also on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.